that a powerful picture of what we're actually here to celebrate this Easter. We're here to celebrate that we actually, every single one of us, can be brought to life in Jesus. I'm so glad that you are here today. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. If you're here in this room or any one of our overflow spaces, thank you so much for being here today. And our hope is that you would have an undeniable transformational encounter with the Jesus that we're here to celebrate today. Our, our kids are at a really fun age in, in life right now, and uh, they're six and nine, and it's a really special time where we get to see their personalities just exploding all over the place. And if you have kids around that age or you remember that age, it's such a fun time. And one of the things that is happening is a, a very important thing, actually, that I believe God has got to put me in their life to help them with. It's, a, it's kind of honestly a, a foundational, kind of fundamental concept of who they are. This is sort of a a, a critical life skill that I think uh, God empowers parents to help their kids with, and that is specifically uh, helping my kids uh, to tell a good joke. (laughs) I feel like this is an important life skill that can get overlooked, and and I believe that this is why God has me in their life to uh, teach them this. I believe that basically it all boils down to this love God, uh, love others, and tell good jokes. I think, that's, I think that's in the Bible. I'm not sure, but that's my calling in their life. And so I'm trying to help them learn how to tell really good jokes. And if you remember kids, little kids, that's something they got to learn and that you have to endure while they learn that, right? And so you endure a lot of really bad jokes. And so I thought I would start our time here today with some of my kids' favorite jokes. I've asked them if they would share some with me, and specifically the person who gave me the most uh, really bad jokes is Patrick Mayberry, our worship leader. Uh, He has a ton of them. And so I want to just share with you this very important life skill so that you can, if you get nothing else out of Easter, at least you'll walk away with a few great jokes. Uh, Here's the first one. Now, let me just say this. These are kids' jokes. These are my kids' jokes. So if you don't laugh at them, you'll make them cry, all right? So I just feel that pressure going into it, all right? So here's the deal. First one, what do you call, <laughs> uh, what do you call a pile of cats? A mountain. <laughs> right? Come on, that gets a little bit more than that. That's a funny joke, right? No? Well, that one was Patrick's. Um, <laughs> all right, sticking with the cat theme. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a cat with a dark horse? Kitty Perry. That's for those of you who are older, ask, ask your kids about that one. Last one. And honestly, Patrick has been asking me to open a sermon with this joke for months now. Uh, what do you call an alligator wearing a vest? An investigator. Come on, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's Pat's joke, so you can thank him afterwards for that. Now, listen, at the heart of what we're going to be looking at here today is the teaching the sayings of Jesus that are built basically on the same concept as a great joke. Jesus did not open his sermons with terrible kids' jokes, but he did do something that's at the fundamentals that I'm trying to teach my kids about how to tell a good joke. First is timing. Timing's everything. It's like, don't open your Easter sermon with kids' jokes. That's timing. And then, and then the second one is, is having a punchline, something at the end that No one saw it coming, and then once they hear it, it makes perfect sense. An upside-down, unexpected thing that no one saw coming, but then when you hear it, you're like, oh my gosh, yep, that's it. That makes so much sense. And so we've been looking, actually, at the teachings of Jesus, and and, and every one of them, it kind of comes at you in such an upside-down, unexpected way, but then when you hear it, you go, yes, that's actually it. And you may be familiar with some of the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said that if you, those who want to be first are actually going to be what? 
last. You've probably seen this in your own life. Those who strive to get to the top usually end up being last. But Jesus said, those who are last shall be first. Jesus said, if you want to be great in this world, serve others. It's so unexpected. If you want to be truly great, then learn to serve others. Jesus said that, look, he didn't come to those, he didn't come just for those who thought they had it all together, who thought they had it all figured out. Jesus said, I've come for those who know that they're sick. That's who I've come for. See, Jesus said the most unexpected thing. It kind of turned everything upside down on its head. And then when you hear it, you go, oh my gosh, that's it. That is what it's actually all about. And so what I want us to do is we look at what is at the heart of Easter today, the message of the cross and an empty tomb. I want us to look at what Jesus said that is so utterly unexpected, so completely upside down, and yet has the power to change everything in your life. And so we're going to look at just two little spots in the Bible in the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open to John chapter 19. If you don't, look, we got you covered here in this room or any one of our overflows. There should be a Bible in your seat back or under your seat. Would you grab that and a pen? We're going to write some things down. Grab a Bible and a pen. And in these gray Bibles, you can turn to page 756. We're going to look at John 19, something Jesus said so unexpected. And yet when you hear it, you go, yep, that's it. John 19 page 756. Let me give you some quick context as to where we're coming at up to the moment of the cross. You may be familiar with the details, but let me just, by way of reminder, let you know that leading up to this moment of the cross, Jesus was ultimately betrayed by one of his closest friends and followers. He was betrayed. Those of us who've experienced betrayal in our life know how that feels. He was betrayed and sold out, and then he spent the night being falsely accused and tried and kind of mock trials where they tried to stick something, any crime to him, so that they get him to be silenced. And by the morning time, they had kind of gotten some charges to stick, and, and then they went on and continued to beat him and abuse him. And this is a part of the story we often forget when all we look at is the cross, that on the way to the cross, Jesus was publicly mocked, beaten, abused, literally whipped and beaten within an inch of his life. And then on top of that, they give him his own tool of execution to carry to his own death unbelievable humiliation on the way to our liberation. And so this is what happens. Jesus goes and he's placed on a cross and they place him right in the center. If you're familiar with the imagery of the story, you know that he's placed in the center between two criminals who in that culture, according to their code, deserved to be there. And it's there in the middle of the two criminals that we find ourselves. We are one of those two, every single one of us. We have the opportunity and the invitation to either reject God or to choose him. And if you know the story, you know that one of the criminals there, to his last breath, just curses Jesus and, you know, just yelling at Jesus from the cross, wasting his last ounces of life on that. And then there's another criminal next to Jesus who sees in that pain-ridden face of Jesus the gift of life. And in the very last moments of his life, chooses Jesus. They are us. And every one of us has that choice. We have that choice even today. And so there is Jesus. And what is so fascinating about Jesus at this moment is the life of Jesus, actually, you you may not be familiar with this, but there were over 300 prophecies. That means words that were spoken, details that were spoken about Jesus, hundreds, even thousands of years before he ever lived. Over 300 are written and recorded in the Bible. And do you know that every single one of them he fulfilled? In fact, at the cross itself, there are 28 specific prophecies about Jesus that are all fulfilled in those last moments. And we're going to look at one of the last prophecies that Jesus fulfilled on his way to liberating us. And this is what it says in verse 28. So we're in John 19, verse 28. It says that later, now listen, this is really important. Jesus is on the cross. Later, after he endured all that we just talked about, Now look at this phrase, knowing that everything had now been what? Finished, Finished, that he had done it 
all, that he had secured it all, that he had fulfilled it all. And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. And so they soaked a sponge in it and they put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and they lifted it up to his lips. This is all yet one more prophecy that Jesus is fulfilling. Found actually in Psalm 69 verse 21, he's fulfilling yet another prophecy about who the Savior would be even in the last moments of his life. And it's there as he's at the last moments of his life that he says something so unexpected and completely upside down. And this is exactly what he says, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said these three words, it is what? Finished. Finished. It is finished. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That means that he gave up his life so that we could have life. It is finished. These are very powerful words spoken from the mouth of our Savior. It is finished. What he's saying here is that the the separation of sin, the separation of sin was actually finished once and for all. He had done it. That the reign of religion that had ruled over the people for so long, the reign of religion was finished. That the era of earning our favor and place with God was finished. That all the days of doing and struggling and striving to kind of make your worth to God, those days are finished once and for all. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it is all finished once and for all. And you know what the sad thing is that I find true of my life, and maybe you can relate to yours, is I live most days like it's my job to finish what he already did. I I think it's my job to be the one to finish it by trying to be good enough for God, clean myself up enough for God. You ever find yourself doing that? That I have to kind of make all the pieces fit together. I have to sort of make myself presentable to God. And you know how this is. I mean, you do something you know you shouldn't have done. You did it again. You know you shouldn't have done it. And so your first impulse, if you're inclined to God at all, is, oh man, now I have to make it up to God, right? And so I did this one really bad thing. I can't believe I did it. So I guess I got to do like 10 good things now to outdo that. And so you try doing good things. And then by the time you get to the third good thing, you do another bad thing. So now you're like, oh my gosh, what am I, like 27 good things now? And so you try and keep score and keep it all working out and it never works out, does it? We keep trying to finish what Jesus already said on the cross is finished. He finished and he did it all. And the most unexpected thing, the most upside down thing about what Jesus says in these final moments is that it is finished is not actually the end, but it's where your story actually begins. We tend to think of finished as a finish line. Jesus says, no, no, no. It is finished is your starting line. It is finished is actually where your story begins. It's not the end. For Jesus, it is actually the beginning of life with him. That the cross actually stands as the, this new contract that God was making with us. The, the Bible would call it a new covenant that God would make with us. A new contract, a new deal with God where Jesus says, it's finished. I did it all. You never could do it, but I did it for you. You don't have to do it. I've done it. It is finished. That is the new deal. But the cross is not the end of the story. Jesus goes, let me take this new contract and let me notarize it by going and being raised by God from the dead. So he is raised by God from the dead, thus making the new contract official so that all of us could live in the new life that comes from it is finished. Isn't that amazing? Who would have expected in his death we could actually find life? No one, in fact, in his day fully expected it. 
I want you to see what I mean. We're going to jump ahead just a little bit to John chapter 20. Just kind of move your eyes a little bit to the right. And we're going to look at John chapter 20. Let me give you some quick context. Jesus dies right at the start of Sabbath. Sabbath is a holy uh, celebration for the people, that were, you know, Jewish people who are following God. And it's a day to, to rest, to stop. And so there was no work to be done. A lot of regulations and you know, things that you had to follow on Sabbath. And so isn't this amazing? The people who clamored and called for the brutal murder of Jesus then went home and honored their religious tradition by honoring the Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? It's like me. It's like you, I think, too. So oftentimes, how much we can miss it. And so they miss it. And so there's two guys who kind of rose out of the shadows of the crowd to take care of the now dead body of Jesus, to prepare him to stay dead, to embalm him. And so these two guys were Joseph and Nicodemus, and they kind of came out. They were former recovering religious leaders. And so they come out of the shadows and say, we'll take care of it. And so they get Jesus a borrowed tomb. They get him a brand new, but it's not even his. It's a borrowed tomb. Isn't it so interesting that he came into this world in a borrowed manger, and he goes out in a borrowed tomb? amazing. And so they get him a borrowed tomb and they quickly embalm his body and the stone is rolled over the tomb so that he can actually stay dead. So these men did the best job they could and then they went on to honor the Sabbath. Well, the Bible tells us that on Sunday morning after Sabbath broke that there were women who were close to Jesus. They were leaders of Jesus, friends of Jesus, followers of Jesus, and they they actually came to the tomb uh, to finish what the men had started. Now, I'm not saying that it takes a woman to do right what a man does wrong, but the Bible does. That's all I'm saying. The Bible says that. And so there were women who came to properly embalm Jesus because they knew that Joseph and Nick did not handle this right. And so Mary Magdalene is one of them. A couple women gather there. They're like, don't worry, we'll take care of it again. And so they go there Sunday morning to properly embalm Jesus to stay dead. They had no idea that it is finished was just the beginning. Mary Magdalene is one of the women standing at the tomb. She had her own past all her own reasons why the love of God should not cover her. But in Jesus, she found life, a new identity, a new purpose, a new meaning. So there's Mary Magdalene. She gets to the tomb, and the body's gone. It's not there. She doesn't know what to think. She doesn't know what to do. And so that's where we pick up in John chapter 20, verse 11. This is what it says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She didn't know this was not in her game plan. She didn't know what to do. She bent over and looked into the tomb and saw Two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. You know, just angels. And so she sees angels there. This happens a lot in the Bible. And there's angels there. She does not know what to think. Again, remember, she only knew that her Savior was dead. But now he's gone missing, and she does not know what to do. And so these two angels ask her in verse 13, Woman, why are you crying? Now, this can seem really insensitive in the moment. Woman, why are you crying? But that's not what they're asking. See, they know the bigger story that has already begun. Why are you crying? Why are you crying? And so she says, well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. See, she still doesn't get it. Jesus has turned everything upside down, and she's still looking for that old understanding of Jesus, that Jesus never actually intended, never, ever intended to stay dead, and he never intended for Mary to stay dead as well, but to live and to be brought to life. And so in verse 14, I love this. I love this. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But what does it say? She did not realize that it was Jesus. 
Now, think about that. She comes looking for Jesus. He's not there. She's crying. She's sobbing. She turns, two angels have basically refused to hand her a tissue. And so she's upset. She turns around and then there is actually Jesus standing there right in front of her and she doesn't recognize him. Imagine how that feels for Jesus. Like, huh? No? Nothing? Like, it's me. And he's standing there and she doesn't recognize him. She doesn't see him because she's still thinking that the story is finished. And I have to wonder in my own life, and maybe you might as well, how many times you've been in the very midst of God and you did not see him or recognize him. At some of your lowest moments of your life, the darkest moments of your life, and there he was standing right there with you, if only you could have, if only you would have seen him and recognized him. And there is Mary. She doesn't even recognize or see her Savior. In fact, this is why I love the Bible, because they keep in details that I would, not kept in, I would not want kept in about my life. That's what it goes on to say in verse 15. He asked her, woman, here it goes again, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? <laughs> I love this. Look what it says. Thinking he was the gardener, you gotta love that. So not only does she not recognize Jesus, but she like sees him on a John Deere. Like she doesn't know <laughs> what is going on here in this moment. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir... Gardener, if you have carried him away, just tell me. Just tell me where he is and I'll go get him. And then Jesus says to her the one thing that turns everything upside down. And it's not some wise, profound teaching. It's not some deep new theological truth. It's not a little phrase that people would put on their bumper stickers thousands of years later. Jesus says one thing so unexpected that it turns everything upside down for Mary. And in hearing it, she is actually brought to life. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. Jesus says her name, Mary. He doesn't give proof. He didn't say, hey, remember all the times I told you I was going to do this? Hey, remember the 300 prophecies that kind of said I was going to do this? He just says her name. He just says, Mary. He speaks right to her heart. And in hearing her Savior say her name, she is resurrected. She is brought to life just in hearing her say his name. And she turned toward him. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, my leader, my Lord. All his miracles, all his teaching, all that Jesus had done, all the prophecies spoken about him, and all he has to do is say her name. And she's brought to life. That's him. That's my savior. That's the one. That's the one who did it all. And he did it actually all for me. This is what's so amazing is when you hear him say your name. And if you would just turn around, if you would just turn around, your whole life can get turned upside down in the best possible way. This is my story. This is my story. Real simple. A little kid, seven years old, and I heard my name. I didn't hear it audibly in my room or anything. There was just a softening of my heart, a little seven-year-old heart. Just an openness, a tenderness, an awareness that there is a God who actually loves me. And in hearing him say, no, Jared, I do it for you. I did it for you. I was brought to life. Now, here's what's so interesting, if I'm being really honest about my story. As I spent the next couple decades trying to finish what Jesus already said was finished. 
by being a good religious boy, by playing by all the rules or at least letting everyone think I was. I worked so hard to get what was already given to me for free by Jesus when he spoke my name. And it wasn't until I was 19 years old, I was walking across the uh, plaza of the school that I was at, the college I was at, and I heard it again, and it, not audibly, just in my heart, there was a softening and awareness that it was Jesus saying, share it, share it, share it. Will you lay down your religious ways and finally fully follow me? I'm telling you, you hear your name spoken, and if you turn around, your whole life can get turned upside down. That's the story of this church. That's the story of the people of this church, just ordinary, everyday folks who respond to, turn around to Jesus, calling, speaking their name. I think of my friend Aaron, who's a part of our church. Aaron grew up in a really tough family, really hard family. Not a lot of love. In fact, there's a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of rejection, a lot of having to guess and navigate how to get love or at least avoid hurt. Maybe you can relate and you know a little bit about that in your family. And the as a little girl, she'd wanted and longed to have a relationship with God, but didn't know how to do it. Her family certainly wasn't interested in all of that. And it wasn't until she started her own family and all this stuff began to stir up inside of her. Started coming here. This church was a part of a mom's group here at this church. And above the noise of a thousand toddlers around her, hears the voice of her Savior saying, Aaron, Aaron, I did this for you. It's finished. You don't have to earn. You don't have to work. You don't have to manage or maneuver getting love from me anymore. You are loved. I am a perfect parent. And while you may not have a perfect family on earth, I will love you perfectly. And in so doing, her turning around, her whole life was turned upside down. And in fact, you'll never guess what happens. She looks back at her family and goes, okay, now I love them through a different lens. What does that mean? What does that look like to begin to love them through a different lens? I mean, that is... That is someone's life being turned upside down by hearing their name spoken. I, I think of a guy who's part of our church, Jay, who had a lot of questions about God, a lot of kind of issues or big questions, important questions. I don't understand how this works. Why does it go like this? Or, and so he, he started coming around our church and saw that these are just normal, ordinary, everyday folks here at the church. And we have a, a group called Starting Point that you can come and just ask your big questions about God. I mean, any, any, any questions, welcome. Every person's welcome. And so Jay starts going to starting point and kind of brings, you know, his big questions loaded, you know, and starts firing them off and finding actually that there's more to life than just getting his questions answered. There's something bigger going on. In fact, that the whole time Jesus was actually whispering, speaking his name. And finally, Jay turned around and said yes. And his whole life was turned upside down. Baptized here this last summer. In fact, just... This last month got married, and I mean, I think their whole marriage now is on a completely different terms and trajectory because he turned around and said, okay, okay, I don't have all my questions answered, I don't have it all figured out, but I know enough to know that the God who loves me sent his son for me, and he finished it for me. Listen, this is the story of, of our own son, Elijah, this year, our nine-year-old son, tells terrible jokes but he heard his name. Listen, sitting in his, sitting in his classroom over at Skinner West Elementary School one day, just had heard, and his heart was soft, and his heart was open to God, and just sitting right there in the middle of his math class, prays and says, Jesus, okay, I want to start a relationship with you. And that's, that's simple. 
And yet that powerful, what happens when we turn around and say yes to Jesus, how our lives can literally be turned upside down. See, this is the story of our church. We're just a bunch of, we're just a bunch of messed up people. Or, oh gosh, let me say it again. We are a bunch of messed up people <laughs> who are getting turned upside down by Jesus, having our whole lives turned upside down by Jesus. And it starts at it is finished. It starts at it is finished, and it is secured, and it is made secure for you and me through his resurrection, through an empty tomb. In fact, this is what's so amazing about the message of grace, about the message of Easter, is that an empty tomb, that empty tomb of Jesus is what guarantees you a full life with Jesus. And that, once again, it's an unexpected, upside-down thing. An empty tomb is actually what guarantees a full life with him. Because he did it, all of it, all of it was finished and completed in him. He did what you could not do, and he did it for you once and for all. It is finished. And in that empty tomb, that resurrected Savior secured and guaranteed a full life with him. And he did it for you. And he did it, thank God, for me. He did it for my son. He did it for Jay, Aaron. I could go on and on and on and on. And he can do it for you today, actually. He can do that for you today. He is calling your name. In fact, he has been your whole life. He's been calling your name your whole life. And the question is, will you today turn around and have your life literally turned upside down by him? Have your sin turned into salvation? To, to, to have your hopelessness turned into purpose? To have your chaos turned into peace? To have all your dead ends turned into new beginnings? See, this is what he does. This is what he's done, and this is what is available for you today. And we want to make that opportunity, that invitation, as available as possible for anyone who wants to turn around and say yes to the Savior who's been calling their name. So I want to actually ask if you would, I want to just explain what that means and give you the opportunity to respond to him. There should be a card in your seat back. If you can grab that or under your seat, if you're in any one of our overflow spaces, you can grab the card that says, I choose to follow Jesus. You grab that and grab a pen because this basically is really what it all comes down to. He has done it all for you. This is what you do for what he's already done for you. This is as simple and as clear as we can make it. This is what is at the heart of Easter. This is what your life actually ultimately has been leading towards. This is how you respond and turn around to the one who's been calling your name. And I want to walk you through that and then give you an opportunity to pray this prayer and to start a, a relationship, truly start a relationship, not add more religion, not trying more rules, a relationship with Jesus today. And this is basically what it says. I want you to read along with me. You can grab a pen and it says this. I confess that what I've done, my sin, can't be undone on my own and has separated me from God. This is the core message. I get that what I've done, my sin, has actually separated me from God. It's put me at a distance from God, the distance that Jesus came to bridge. So it says, I accept what God does for what I've done, forgiving my sin. This is at the heart of Easter. The cross is the new contract, and the, the empty tomb is how he notarizes it, how he makes it official through Jesus' death on the cross. And then it says, I choose, I choose a new life with God today and to live the rest of my life with God. 
I choose new life today, and that's secured. That is possible right here, right now, today. There's not a, any other thing you can do to earn it. It's available fully and freely to you through Jesus. And it can start today. And the amazing thing is he not only gives you full life and new life here today, but he secures your life once this life is over. It's an amazing deal. Again, something you can do nothing about. He's already done it all for you. This is the heart of Easter. This is how we turn around and respond to the one who's been calling your name. And I know there are a lot of folks here. There are a lot of folks here today, and maybe you kind of just barely made it out here today. You weren't even sure if you were going to come. It's been a while maybe since you've come. Could it be that this is the whole reason you came? That this is actually what it's all been leading up to? There's people that have been praying for you that you would turn around and say yes. That you would turn around today and say yes to him. I know there are folks in this room, kind of like my story, where you, you'd said yes maybe a long time ago when you were a kid, and you, you meant it. And you were real, remember, you were real close with God, and then something happened. I don't know, like 13, 14, 15, you got paroled, you stopped going to church. What felt so close and so real now feels so far and so distant, and you wonder if he'll ever have you back again. Listen, it's finished. It's done. There's not anything else you could do to earn your way back to God. You never could in the first place. He's already done it for you. You can come back home today. You can begin again with Jesus today, no matter how far you've walked, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run. You can begin again today with Jesus. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I think, in fact, that's the reason you're here. And so there's a little section on the bottom that I want you to start filling out while I'm talking and while we pray here in a moment. It's just real simple. And the whole reason we have this little tear-off part at the bottom is so that we can actually follow up with you. And this isn't just a thing that happens at church and you kind of go on about your day, but this becomes a moment that you can mark that leads to movement in your life. And we're actually going to follow up with you. Our staff will personally reach out with you this week. We want to talk with you about this, the biggest decision, the most important relationship in your life. This is what it all comes down to. And so you can just fill that out in a moment. I'll tell you what to do with this card. But I just wonder if there's anyone here today who would love to pray that prayer, who would want to say, yep, that's me, who would want to begin a relationship with Jesus, to, like Mary, turn around and hear him and see him calling your name. So I want to lead us through a prayer of response. And, and we take a posture here at our church. Maybe you grew up kind of folding your hands like this. You know, you thought that's how you're supposed to pray. That's not in the Bible. They just did that so you wouldn't poke the kids next to you. But the, 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 the way that we pray around here at Soul City Church, maybe this is new to you, but might make more sense to you, is we open our hands up. We just kind of open our hands up and keep them in our lap. And maybe that's a little symbol for you to do today. Say, you know what? Yep. I may not hear an audible voice right now, but my heart is open. My life is open. Jesus, I'm ready. I want to begin a relationship with you today. And listen to me, I think that's you. I, I believe that's you. I want to begin again with you. I've walked so far. It's been years. It's been decades. But I want to begin again with you. Do you know that you can do that right now today? So I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's not a magic prayer. Nothing magic happens at this moment. This is just you saying with your own heart, your own words, what you long to be true for your life, to respond to Jesus. And so you can follow along. In fact, I'm just going to pray through this card. So maybe it helps for you to use this card as the way that you want to pray. But in your own words, if that's you today, would you pray along with me right now? All right, so let's pray together. You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I just want you to be able to respond to the one who's been calling your name. So let's pray together right now with hands and hearts open to him. Jesus, this is a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I confess, I confess that what I've done I admit, I own, I take responsibility for what I've done. And that that's actually separated me from you. 
My sin has kept me at a distance from you. And I accept what you have done for what I've done, that you sent your son and that you, Jesus, finished it all, that I don't have to keep trying to put a period to the sentence you already put an exclamation mark on. It's finished. And there's nothing else I can add to that, so I accept what you've done for me. I accept that you are calling my name and I want to respond to you today. And so I choose life. I choose life with you. I choose to live this life with you. I choose to give my life to you. I choose to live my life for you. I choose to live my life by you. I choose to live my life through you. I want my life to be lost in yours, Jesus. And I want a new beginning, just as you said when you said it is finished. Jesus, that is our prayer and that is our hope for those who are beginning for the very first time with you and for those who are beginning again today. We know that the second we come to you with that open heart, turn around, that our life gets turned upside down by you and we are brought to life in you. So Jesus, make it so right now. We pray by your power through the cross and the empty tomb. Amen. Amen. Now listen to me. I'm gonna ask you to take a little step of faith a little risk right now, but I want you to step into the new life you have, and I believe that there's a reason that you are here today, and it all comes down to this. If you just prayed that prayer, either to begin a new life with Jesus, to begin a new life, or to begin again, to start fresh, or to start again with Jesus, here's what I want you to do. Boldly and confidently, stepping into the new life you have with him, I want you to stand up right now where you're at. I don't want you to hesitate. I want you to stand up, because we want to support you and celebrate you right now. So if that is you, and you prayed that prayer... Stand up. I believe this is what, and stay standing because we want to celebrate. And I believe there's more. I believe there's more. You're just scared to stand. If you're scared to stand, get over it. All right, get over it. If that's you and you want that new life, stand up right now. This is what Easter all comes down to. If that's you, stand up and receive that right now. In fact, I want to ask everyone to stand up right now because we want to celebrate and we want to sing and come to the cross of Jesus. What a gift to celebrate new life. What a gift to see it unfold at our hands, at the foot of the cross. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And so we want to come to him and we want to sing right now in the reality of the cross and what he's done for you and for me.